Hi, I'm Randy Kleiner. And I'm Kaylee Smith-Westbrook. As the co-founders of Series Fest, we welcome you to Breaking In, a Series Fest podcast. In 2015, Series Fest began its mission to champion and empower artists at the forefront of episodic storytelling by providing year-round opportunities for creators and industry experts to connect, collaborate, and share stories. We are thrilled to expand our mission with this podcast as we talk to working professionals in television and gain insight, advice, and hear their journey of breaking in. Today, Kaylee and I are speaking with Lisa Ammerman, an executive producer and partner at Treefort Media. Ammerman has more than 20 years of experience as a producer, journalist, and booker. As a senior producer at The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, she earned a Peabody Award for a special featuring Archbishop Desmond Tutu. More recently, she was vice president of talent booking at CBS Entertainment, where she was responsible for booking top-tier talent across network platforms. Treefort Media is a podcast company that launched in 2018 with a mission to expand imagination through narrative audio storytelling. In addition to overseeing production of various series for Treefort, Ammerman manages casting and talent booking for the company. The company has produced hits such as the true crime investigative series, Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood, which was number one on Apple Podcasts, garnered more than 20 million downloads, and was named a 2019 Webby honoree for best series. The company is producing a number of original fiction and documentary series for partners including Audible and Spotify, as well as high-profile podcast series for LA Times Studios, Focus Features, Disney Music Group, and Sony Pictures Television. Hi, Lisa. Welcome. Thank you. So nice to be here. So nice to have you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's quiet in my house for right now. That's nice. I I was telling Kaylee earlier that uh, this is a bit intimidating for me because you're, as a podcast producer, usually in our seat. And uh, this time we reverse roles. So I, you know, we're definitely going to have to do a good job here on this one. Well, and I, I was thinking about this too, and it's like I'm so used to being the one to ask the questions. I'm all of a sudden now in the hot seat, so I'm, uh, I'm sweaty. Oh no, don't sweat! I promise we're, we're nice. We'll, we'll, we'll be, we'll be really nice and gentle. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, we definitely want to get into your current role of podcast production, but first, let's rewind and go back to where it all started. Um, what was your first role in television? My first role in television was an internship, actually, at uh, New York's PBS station, Channel 13. I had been working um, a couple of years after college in the city, and I was actually thinking I might go to medical school, which was not a good fit for me. Um, and I had, I had worked at a hospital, and then I had worked, I had made friends with a patient, and he had me um, basically running like a community-based social service agency. And at age 25, I found myself sort of like with 85 people reporting to me. I didn't know what I was doing. It was not a great fit. And I thought, this isn't what I want to do with my life. And I turned to a friend of mine from childhood who had been working in television. And she was like, you've always liked TV. You should just go for it. So I did exactly what my father had always told me to do, which was stay at that job for exactly a year and then you can leave. So I did that. I quit my job. I waited tables at night and I got an unpaid internship at Channel 13 on a television uh, local series called City Arts. And the first day, first day of the internship, we went to interview Glenn Close, who was starring on Broadway. And I was like, I'm done. 
this is cool. <laughs> I'm in. And um, so I did six weeks on that show. And once I was in the door in the building, I started to meet other people, um, other people sort of in my age group who were like production assistants or associate producers. And they just were really helpful. And they passed my resume around to other producers who were looking for freelancers. And I just sort of built, built, built from there. And my first day of my first internship, I'm pretty sure I stuffed about 500 mail out letters for a, for a development campaign. And you met Glenn Close. <laughs> but I did do what you just so. Uh, so that six week gig ended. And through a friend of a friend, I got a PA job working the reception desk at Bill Moyer's um, production company, which was also in the same building. And I think I started on a Wednesday. And on Thursday morning, they said to me, we have 40 uh, binders that need to be highlighted for different script sort of pieces and sent out by tomorrow. Can you do that? Yeah, of course. I didn't realize that when you Xerox, I mean, this is how long ago it was, Xerox all of those pages that the highlight wouldn't go through. So manually sitting on the floor with page after 40 of them, I would do, I would, I did, I sort of did it like a factory and I just went methodically through and then I would turn the page and then, you know, so I had all of those and I've, I mean, I was up all night, five o'clock in the morning, I finished so that I would make the FedEx deadline. And then I was petrified that they had cameras and they're like, who's this idiot who couldn't get this done in three hours? Why is she still here 18 hours later? So <laughs> I went and said something to the woman who had hired me. I was like, just, you know, FYI, I was here all night. I, I hope I did this right. I just, I didn't know who to tell. And she was like, what? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And so 10 minutes later, Bill Moyers himself, who is, I'm still in touch with, lovely. He came up to me and he was like, I heard what you did. That was so wonderful. Like my first weekend working for LBJ, I had to, I think he had to hand address a hundred thousand postcards. Oh God. So he's like, I didn't sleep for 48 hours. So he's like, I've been in your shoes. This is good training ground. Best of luck and whatever. And I've worked on and off with him then for a number of years. And then I went from there again, sort of networking through the building. I, um, I stumbled on these other conversation series that I worked, I worked in on and off for like six years and they were, uh, these deep dives into first amendment issues, a lot of, um, ethical and social dilemmas. I mean, they were fascinating. We had everybody from like sitting Supreme Court justices to uh, news anchors and sort of experts in various fields. And uh, the research on them was super interesting and always really cool. And I got to interview me. I sat next to like, you know, Antonin Scalia, who I didn't think I would have very much in common with, quite honestly, but he was really fun and funny. And I tell you that because years later, I used that experience to get my foot in the door at late night comedy when um, they asked me who are three people you would want to see on a late night comedy show. And one of them I said was Scalia because he actually had a really good sense of humor, like very unexpectedly after about six years working on those um, television programs, I decided I wanted to go back to graduate school. Um, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, was um, a grad student at Columbia. And I kept looking at his books. And I was like, this is super interesting. I wonder if I would be a good fit. And so he was like, just apply it. And I so I applied, I got in and I went. So I went back to grad school in my late 20s. If you, you know, just thinking about how you got your step in, if you had any advice for somebody that was trying to break in right now, you know, what would that advice be? 
Oh, um, I mean, I think every conversation could lead to another conversation. Um, I think it's so important. Like just, I mean, I've gotten every gig I've ever gotten, whether long-term or short or short-term was because I had a conversation with somebody or I told a friend like, Hey, you know, I would be really interested in this. If you hear of anything, let me know. And just keeping in contact with people. I mean, I still, um, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but when I was at, uh, in late night at late, late show with Craig Ferguson, um, I ran the, the internship program and I still have interns who, I mean, this is now like over 12 years ago. I have uh, a guy who was a former intern who now works with me at tree fort media, um, as a full producer and he's amazing and so smart. And I mean, I've watched his career sort of blossom over all those years and I have, you know, other interns come back to me after they graduated from college and, um, started, you know, their, their work, their careers and they want advice or whatever. It's just, I, you know, I've, I've, I've hopefully been able to successfully hook people up with some of their early gigs or give them some advice. And so I think those are, those connections are always invaluable. I'm actually really curious as you're talking about uh, internships and internships program, because I was having a conversation with someone recently with um, an organization and they were kind of like, well, we don't like doing internships because we don't believe in not paying someone for their work. But you're sitting here talking about how someone who now has a job because they did an internship with you 12 years ago. So maybe for someone also who's starting out, who's looking at these programs, are there certain internships that um, you would recommend or are there things that you should look out for in an internship that will further advance your career versus maybe someone who's just taking advantage of your you know, free labor? Great question. And I don't know enough about sort of how the different states view production and production work and internships. But at Tree Fort Media, we pay our interns. Mm. And at Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, which was part of Worldwide Pants, we, um, after a certain number of years, I know that the the requirements changed. And so we did start to pay people. Um, I don't know across the board whether or not that is the norm now. I do believe that you get the most out of the internship experience if you feel like you're valued for your time and you're paid for your time. I think that that's important. Big picture, though, I think internships are amazing. In fact, I feel like the best way to, I mean, like when you want to learn a language, like the best way to do it is to speak to a native speaker, you know, or to immerse yourself in that country where they speak that language natively. I feel like it's the same with an internship. You can tell me how to drive a car, but until you put me behind that wheel, I can't drive that car. I don't understand what's coming at me. I don't understand the the how to troubleshoot like, you know, a crazy driver and somebody's, you know, screaming at me, whatever the not that we scream at people in an internship. I right, don't mean right, that. Right. Um, but, you know, sort of all the natural reactions that you would have in the day to day of production, um, you have to do it to understand it and to learn from it. I agree. I, I got my start at an internship at the public theater in New York. And I, I honestly, am not sure if series fest would be here if I hadn't started that internship. Cause I went there thinking I love theater, but found, I loved all these other aspects, um, which moved me to film at Lincoln center, which eventually led to this. And I think like, that's such a great way to your point to get so much experience in a world that you love um, and also learn maybe where you want to go next. A hundred percent. Well, you've mentioned it a few times and, and we should we should talk about it. So how did you get involved with the late, late show with Craig Ferguson? So that same friend who encouraged me when I was like 
Ms. at this, you know, hospital gig I had, she had moved out to California and I came out to visit her, um, a couple of different times actually for work. I had sort of between, after I graduated from grad school and before I moved from New York to Los Angeles, I had come out to California a number of times for a primetime special about the first five years of Saturday Night Live. And so every time I came out, I mean, well, one time we were out here like twice in six days or something, you know, dumb. And so I had dinner with her sort of every time I came out and she was like, why don't you guys move out here? And I was kind of like, hmm. I never in a million years expected myself to even have a desire to live in LA. It just was not on my radar. And so I was kind of like, Oh, you know, maybe. So went back to New York, thought about it. And my boyfriend, now husband, we decided, okay, we're going to get married. Six weeks later, we moved out to LA with no jobs. We just decided to figure it out. And that's what we did. Um, I initially, when we first moved out here, um, I pretty quickly had a, an infant. And so I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, an, through another friend, actually, I started doing casting on Amazing Race and Survivor. It was literally journalism 101. It was just finding people's stories, figuring out whether or not that story could sort of carry through the season. And they would give me, because of my journalism background, they would give me the most sort of obscure asks, like go find, you know, something, something, something. So that's what I was doing. I did it for a number of years. My kid was ready to go to nursery school and I wanted something that was sort of more long-term. And so that same friend happened to have been in the parking lot at CBS, ran into the show producer of Late Late Show. And he said to her, oh, you know, I'm really, uh, we've had, a, we've had a turnover um, with producers. It would be great if you know anybody. And she was like, well, She's never been, a, I have a friend from childhood who's never been a talk show producer, but she's, you know, she's probably a good fit because she knows a ridiculous amount about pop culture and just sort of stuff. And you should really talk to her. So it happened to have coincided with when uh, it was at the end of 2007 when the writer's strike was happening. So um, I had to do all these meetings with the producers and then eventually with Craig Ferguson um, at the Grove, which is sort of a, like a mall, basically like an outdoor mall that backs up to the CBS television studios. Um, so yeah. And that was when they asked me, I had to do a writing sample and they asked me, who could you envision Craig talking to on the couch that maybe you haven't seen before? And that's where the Scalia thing came up and they were like, really? Um, but it worked. <laughs> I don't think they'd ever been given that answer before. That's amazing. That's great. So it was just sort of like happenstance, like every door opens another door. You never know. You know, and I had also I never thought I would work in comedy like that was not they just wanted somebody who was able to interview celebrities, journalists, scientists, politicians, authors, you know, whatever. And I could sort of I hit all of those marks. So I think that's why I was a good fit. Right. I don't even remember during that time. So were late night shows on during the strike? Like, I clearly remember the strike happening because I had just graduated college and was um, an actress. And all of a sudden there was no work for two years. Were you guys allowed to write and stay on? I don't even remember. We, the, the show Worldwide Pants, which Ferguson fell under, was, um, was down until... I think we, my first day of employment was January 2nd, 2008. So wow. Worldwide Pants had negotiated. So Letterman and Ferguson 
we're the first two to come back, if I remember right. Got it. I could be wrong about that, but we, we came back together as a block. Got it. And my first guest was Marion Cotillard. Was that when she did Livia and Rose? Was that at that time? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember seeing that for the first time. That performance was incredible. No words. She's amazing. And she was so fun. And she was, you know, she was super nervous. So there's two nervous women having to put this on, you know, and I didn't, I don't think I told her at the moment that was my first day or that she was my (laughs) first interview, but then subsequently she became a a regular guest. And in fact, actually, um, yeah, we sort of had a, a running joke about that for a while. I love that. That's great. That's amazing. Any funny, crazy stories from that time? I know, um, like, weren't you on the show? Oh, I was on the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was with, that was about a year in and, um, you know, we were very regimented in terms of start time. Like, uh, the show started at five o'clock. Ferguson went out to his mark at five o'clock. Like he was never late. And, um, which was great because, you know, we always knew like you were done at a certain time. It wasn't like you were waiting, waiting, waiting. So on Thursdays, normally we double taped. And one of my lead guests on one of those shows, I think for the Friday show, so it would have been the second taping was Sean William Scott Stifler, American Pie. Right. And, uh, Sean William Scott took the long route from Malibu oh, no. to center mid city. And so he did not show up on time or I think at all. I think we were finally like, dude, just turn around <laughs> like at this point. So, um, yeah, they, I thought they were joking. I mean, we had a studio audience there, but I just thought that he just wanted to have me come out and like explain where Sean William Scott was, but no, Craig put me on as the lead guest, um, on Friday night. So, um, yeah, I had, I had to answer all the questions that he, that I had basically written for Sean William Scott based on our pre-interview. And yeah, (laughs) so that was, I mean, I have to say it was, it, it was funny because I didn't think it was going to air. And then when it aired, I got like people came out of the woodwork. I didn't know so many people watched Craig Ferguson. So that was funny. <laughs> like random, like old teachers and stuff. It was really funny. And then he enjoyed it so much. He threw me out there a couple more times, like for cold opens and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's so fun. Special guest. Um, so I know um, more recently you were uh, you were at CBS and so maybe you could talk about how um, that came about in your role there, because it's very different than what you did previously. Yeah, no. So um, I stayed with Ferguson from 2008, beginning of 2008, until the show went off the air at the end of 2014 and segued into when James Corden took over um, around that. So we had sort of a while to prepare um, as the show was winding down. Like, I think we knew in like April or May that Ferguson was stepping down. So um, around that time, I had always covered CBS programming for our show, which is sort of how we divided the guest booking and producing. Um, so I knew a lot of the, the players sort of inside mm. the executives um, at CBS. And um, CBS was creating a role where they would have um, sort of a, a talent booker working across all the different divisions, everything from marketing to late night game shows, prime time, you know, sort of Simon and Schuster, CNET, all the different CBS properties and try and get top tier talent to promote 
their projects on CBS rather than on NBC or ABC. So I worked sort of with all those different divisions to try and get like, for example, Bruce Springsteen had his uh, autobiography coming out. And so I worked with all the different divisions to figure out what we could offer to him so that he would come do his exclusive interviews on CBS programming rather than NBC or ABC. So that was one, for example. I did that for three years. It was a great gig. You know, around the time that um, that I was looking for sort of my next opportunity, I uh, reconnected with Kelly Garner, who had been an old friend. Um, I, I met Kelly when he and his wife first moved out to Los Angeles. My husband and I worked with him on a project and he was leaving NBC and starting Tree Fort Media, which is the podcast company I'm a partner in. And he just basically he wanted to meet and say, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, developing some shows, let's talk. But at the time, he had already started the company and had his first project, which was um, the uh, true crime podcast about the mysterious death of the actress Natalie Wood, Fatal Voyage. And he had another producer working on it, but sort of toward the end, he got a bunch of new information. He needed some help sort of restructuring a bunch of the episodes. He and I basically sat in a room together and opened up like six of the episodes. We realized how well we worked together. He said, do you want to stay and build this? And I was like, oh my God, I can't think about going to a startup from having worked like in these cushy jobs. Um, and I was really on the fence. And then I sort of, I sort of thought, thought all through and I was like, you never know. Here I am. Amazing. And how long ago was that? How long has Tree Fort been in existence? Tree Fort celebrated its third birthday in April. I think April is either the 15th or the 18th, but April. Yeah. Very exciting. So t talk to us about Tree Fort. Tell me what you guys develop and work on and produce. Cause I know you guys do a bunch of different stuff. We do. We, um, I was sort of, I've tried to like think about it in terms of buckets. We do like the Fatal Voyage series. We do the unscripted stuff. So some documentary and some talk formats. And then we have a whole scripted slate, which was recently, um, announced, uh, with Audible. Our first big scripted series uh, came out May 27th. Oh, that's my birthday. Yay. Oh, yay. That's okay, good. A lucky day for you guys. <laughs> a lucky day. Exactly. Oh, good. And it's through Audible. Uh, it's called Killing Hollywood, The Cotton Club Murder. And we got our dream cast, Christian Slater, Juliette Lewis, Rain Wilson in the principal roles. And it's a true story about the film producer, Robert Evans, was trying to sort of have his Hollywood comeback. He wanted to have the movie The Cotton Club made. He was having a hard time getting it financed. And he uh, got into a business deal with a woman named Lainey Jacobs, who had uh, some significant drug profits that she wanted to put into a movie. And a guy named Roy Radin, who had made a name for himself as a vaudeville producer, but wanted to transition into film stuff and sort of cut into the chase. Lainey had... Roy Radin, Lainey Jacobs had Roy Radin killed and so that she could stay attached to the movie. And she got away with it for a couple of years. Um, but she is now sitting uh, in a California penitentiary and she's in her seventies. So it was a true story. Wow. It hadn't really been, um, you know, sort of explored. It was a big case here, like probably one of the bigger cases um, in, you know, sort of the LA court system right before OJ. 
What's the biggest difference in developing a scripted podcast um, versus an unscripted? Ooh, great question. Um, I mean, this is for me, this was my first ever scripted anything. Like as a journalist, I only worked in unscripted. Um, and then as a talk show producer, I only worked in unscripted. So I love the conversations, you know, and we have a, a really robust team at, at Treefort. Um, so in terms of developing for the scripted space, we wanted to make sure that we had amazing writers in, in place and top tier casting. Um, so that uh, in addition to building out cliffhangers, which you don't necessarily have to do in a conversation, that was a real learning curve for me. The idea that it also from sort of idea to release of the finished product is just so different. I mean, at the end of, you know, a 35 to a 60 minute taping in unscripted talk television, you know, you're done. You know, it's just, it's so, it's so different. Um, I just don't even think about it. People would ask me in unscripted, have you ever interviewed so-and-so like a big name? And I would have to think about it or go into my notes. And because it's just the, the pace is so different. But with, uh, with scripted, it can take years. I mean, Cotton Club, um, the series that just came out, that was over two years from idea to release. Yeah. Uh, was it written by one person or was there kind of a writer's room as you would experience in television? It was not a full writer's room. Um, we had a writer named Daniel Thompson, and then another writer came aboard to sort of help him because Dan uh, Thompson is a television writer. Um, he's written for like Sarah Connor Chronicles and um, Westworld. Uh, Jeff Baker was um, another writer that we brought on board to sort of help with the, really the transitioning from just script to audio script. Um, it is really different because so many of the things that you sort of take for granted with the visual cues, you don't have those same you have in order to move the story forward. There's different sort of signals that need to be put in place, like signposts, almost really um, auditory signposts that you need to 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 put in there that you just don't. And, and it's so hard to rewire your brain to do that. So um, having having the two of them collaborate together like that was really beneficial for us. I think Brandy and I are so fascinated because I really, I mean, I personally don't know anything about um, developing a scripted podcast. So to, to me, I'm like, this is so fascinating and it must, you know, be so different. I'm even curious too. I'm like, what does a production team look like for a scripted podcast? Because when I think of a television show, clearly I'm like a director, a DP, like how how does that work as far as a director versus producers and what you're doing with the sound. Tell us everything. <laughs> everything. Well, I can back it up a little bit by saying that during the pandemic, while so many other productions were, you know, obviously forced to shut down because you had to be in the same room, we were able to pivot, thankfully, and really actually get through huge chunks of production. Like we, for example, like Killing Hollywood, the Cotton Club murder, we were able to record with Christian uh, Slater, Rain Wilson, and Juliette Lewis. It, it, I mean, Rain recorded 
only from home. He had a little home studio. Christian was literally in like a tent fort that he pulled like a bed cover over his head to make a sound booth. And he was like sitting, you know, on the floor, you know, knees, you know, on the floor. So for hours at a time, like it was amazing. And Juliet, we were able, by the time we recorded with Juliet, we actually recorded with her in the studio. So they were actually, in this case, they were never in the same room. Um, but that doesn't mean that we always do it that way. Um, but for, for this, these purposes and with, you know, I would like to say amazing sound design, um, our senior audio engineer is a guy named Tom Monahan, who is really just amazing. And, um, and he and his team really built out this sonic world that you didn't feel like you were listening to a bunch of people in a sound studio or sitting around a table doing a table read. It doesn't have that feel, you know, um, I would like to say, and I hope that, that, uh, you know, listeners feel that way too. It's really sounds very cinematic. It feels like if I have the television on in my house and I'm not watching picture and I'm just listening to the story, to me, that's what it sounds like. And we try and, and, and apply that model to all of our scripted stuff. Um, you know, I also, I realized I didn't fully answer your other question. What kind of a team you have together to, to pull off a scripted podcast. Um, and so, you know, from sort of idea where the writer, you know, either we've hired a writer to take an idea and conceptualize it and write it down, or we and developed it in house, or sometimes writers have brought something to us and then we decided to collaborate, um, and go out there and sell the project and then go from there. So sort of both of those models, but, um, we have a director of development, Jamie Tenenbaum, who's great, and she's found us a ton of really cool things to um, to, to work on. From there, we start. We do um, sort of the same way that you do television. I mean, you know, we lock the scripts after a number of different drafts and sort of go back and forth with. In our case, the studio is audible and, you know, sort of work with a great creative exec there, um, and then we start recording and. We tried, uh, this has sort of worked for us, but we, um, we do a table read and so we can work out some of the kinks sort of in the same way that you do any other, you know, sort of scripted anything. Um, and then we build out from there. Um, we do a casting process much the same way you do for television and all of that we do in house. Um, we're always really looking to um, highlight emerging artists too, um, whether those are new writers, new directors, new actors. Um, you know, it's such a great medium for experimentation um, and people being able to play against sort of, you know, type being typecast. I mean, you know, sometimes a comedic actor could play an evil guy or whatever, you know, just to sort of play around. Um, but, uh, we, we build it out that way. And so we have a core group, um, that we work across everything. Everybody at Treefort sort of has that ability to work in scripted and unscripted. We throw people in wherever we need them. Uh, and it's great because it's really, it's a, you know, we've all learned, as I said before, I had never worked in scripted and now I feel like I've made some, you know, um, I, I understand that world better. I think that it's so exciting to be in podcasting right now. Um, and what's interesting about, I mean, in Treefort in particular, like so many of us are television veterans. Um, uh, it, you know, we've come to this from just a straight storytelling background. Um, and I feel like there are genres that haven't been explored yet, that there's going to be genre defining 
podcasts that come about. I hope that Treefort is um, at the at the front of some of those. Um, we are, you know, working, at, you know, sort of in, beyond sort of scripted and unscripted. I would say so that that's exciting. Um, I just love sort of hearing how you can elevate storytelling. My hope for Treefort is that we continue to take on great quality stories attach and work with top tier talent who really elevate the material too. And to put all of those into sonic worlds that feel so cinematic and so different and fresh that it just sort of keeps people wanting to come back to our stuff versus others, you know, that it feels like we have a signature sound. That would be my hope. Well, you've given such great advice. Um, and earlier I loved what you said about you never know where a conversation is going to lead and, and building relationships. But I'm curious for someone listening who wants to launch their own podcast, scripted or unscripted, what is some advice you would give to them, um, some do's or some don'ts? Such a good question. I I love to produce with a group. When we edit something, when we are conceptualizing something, like whatever point sort of in that process, I don't trust just my own opinion. I think it's really important to be able to bounce those ideas off of somebody, whether it's just like a straight up check and balance. I, I value everybody's opinion on my team. And I like the fact that we are generationally in a different places in our lives. We have recent college grads, we have mid-level sort of producer executives, and then we have people like me who've spent over 25 years doing content from one sort of, you know, bucket to another. And I think that's really important because what I think is funny isn't necessarily what a 23-year-old thinks is funny. What I think is really interesting, they're like, I never heard of that guy. Who? Like, I think that's really important. And I feel like sometimes the jokes or the story points that you put in there don't land and you need somebody to basically be like, uh -uh, that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> and you have to be open enough to have those conversations and not be so sort of myopic in your thinking and about the storytelling. I think it's really important to, to bring in ideas from everybody. I, that, you know, because, and I've had those conversations with people who have wanted to start something and they have a really specific lane in which they want to, to run. And that's an opinion. Like, yeah. here's my, you ask me my opinion, I'm going to give you my opinion and you can take it or leave it. But here's what I would think, depending on whether you not want something to be niche or whether you want something to be broader. I think that sort of also plays into that, if that helps. I love that. I think that's great advice. I personally love collaboration. So basically what you're just saying is just collaborate and be open to collaborating. Um, well, before we wrap up, I have one last question for you that I'm asking all of our guests. If you could have worked on any television series in history, what would it have been and what would you have done on it? Wow. That is a really good question. Um, any television show, any television show, you know, I feel like I, what I, what, what drew me to wanting to work in news and late night comedy was the, the pacing of it. Like I liked that every day was different and that is something that I know and I know well. 
So if I could have, if I could, if I could learn and exercise a different muscle, I would really want to work on, um, uh, like a long running television show, something mm. like that and something that was iconic. Um, something like Seinfeld, for example, mm. um, because I feel like that is, is a different muscle that I, I would have loved to have learned. Um, and to see how that, to, how that, like whether or not there was a lot of improv, I'm assuming that there was. And, I think that the role then that I would want to have had on something like that would maybe have been like script supervisor because <laughs> I feel like that was probably a really hard job and you probably learned a lot. You learned a lot about comic timing and story and just how chemistry between different actors can really just elevate whatever you're working on. Like it is, it's, it is, it's the material, but it's also the actors and sort of how all that comes together. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. That's a great answer. I love it. I love it. Great answer. That is a really hard question. There's so many ways you could go with that too. It's so funny too, because like I just finished reading this book about a producer who worked for years at 60 Minutes, which I would have wanted to do forever. But after reading that, I was like, oh my God, no way. <laughs> that is a tough gig. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for, for your time and um, all of the wonderful advice you've given us. Um, and it's so lovely meeting you. It was great to meet both of you. This is really fun, and I'm excited to, to listen to all of these episodes. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode. Series Fest is a nonprofit organization, and our work would not be possible without our incredible board of directors, staff, and partners who make programs like this podcast possible. We have ongoing competitions, initiatives, and mentorship programs year-round, so please check us out at seriesfest.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay up-to-date on announcements. This episode was edited by Neil Trulio with original music by Adam Westbrook. 